Good evening. Welcome to the Common Room Podcast, a podcast by European Waves. My name is Aria, and here with me today, I have Miss Greta Scott. Hello. Hi. So, for context for this episode, I had a conversation with Gergo and Catherine about different media and government responses to the war in Ukraine. And I wanted to talk a bit about the importance of the Polish civil sector in regards to its response. However, we ran out of time. And after doing all the research, I thought it would be a really great idea to just have a podcast over this specific topic because it raised some really interesting questions for me. I also love things or media that works to bridge the gap between in theory and in practice. And I think that this specific topic gives us room to do that. So first of all, hi Greta. I think I wanted to start off by asking you what was the most maybe shocking piece of news or media that you read while you were preparing for this episode without any spoilers yeah the one the one that surprised me the most was that there's a polish couple living in the uk who are renting out an entire hotel uh for ukrainian refugees in poland wait how many people uh it was a 180 bed hotel wow that's quite a bit what about you well i actually found a lot of things that were shocking and interesting some of which I mentioned in the last episode. So I'm just going to dive right in and not answer the question. <laughs> um, so I believe I mentioned in the last episode that this Polish response in theory versus in practice is different than one might imagine, especially when we're separating civil sector versus government. We had the unique opportunity to see these things play out, given that we have been living here and seeing with our own eyes what the collective response has been to the humanitarian crisis spurred by the war. Okay, so first I want to outline what the general response has looked like, especially for people that might be listening and donated. Uh, you know, what does it look like here on the ground? So it includes, but is not limited to, setting up immediate care slash direction upon arrival at the train station, so centers where people can come in and ask, you know, what the following steps are, hosting refugees in People's, like, people have hosted refugees in their homes or rented out Airbnbs or hotels, just like you mentioned. Um, and again, that's not limited to Krakow, just in general. We've seen that on the continent, which is nice. We've also seen businesses, again, all over the world step up. And here, specifically, we've seen a lot of small businesses, um, like coffee shops or yoga studios, become donation centers or drop-off points where people could really easily just drop off purchases or whatever was needed, which I think was really awesome because sometimes people are discouraged even though it sounds awful, people like to do things that are convenient for them. And so if something is easy and convenient for you, you're more likely to do it. So if you have things laying around at home or if you have a store nearby and you already know that you can just drop it off at your local coffee shop, it's uh, likely that you will do it. So I thought that was really cool. Um, so Amway, for example, has an office here in Krakow and they offer to provide their employees and their employees' families from Ukraine with housing here. So that's really nice and they're paying for all of it and helping streamline the process. Also, in terms of municipal efforts, they are hiring and training teachers from Ukraine and allowing students to go to school here in Poland, which we kind of already knew, but last week or two weeks ago when I started researching it, it was fairly new. They've also started these programs to help integrate teachers and help them learn Polish so that they can work here or really anywhere in Poland, um, which is where many refugees would like to stay 
So the directors of leading Krakowian high schools organized for Ukrainian high school students to get their high school diplomas here so that their time wasn't wasted. We've also seen a lot of international NGOs send doctors and volunteers to the front lines. And then in terms of NATO solidarity, we've had the deployment of U.S. troops to Poland. Although, to be fair, that happened since we saw further escalations in early February. And I think that the U.S. deployed 3,000 troops to Romania, Poland, and Germany around February 4th or 5th. I couldn't find the exact details on how many were deployed after, but I did read that the invasion caused a deployment of thousands of service members for temporary missions in Europe. On that note, I've noticed that, I mean, I think we all have, um, that there are American soldiers just wandering around all over Krakow and... There's been no explanation as to why that is, because I think they're just on holiday. I think they're on leave. But when I first saw them, this was like right at the beginning of the invasion. I was like, oh, okay. Are they here to like keep the city safe? What's going on? Um, I don't know how other people would have responded to that, whether people from Krakow are used to seeing US soldiers milling around. I don't know how you experienced that. The service members that were deployed for these temporary missions, most of them were sent to eastern Poland uh, to take care of the border. And so that's why we've seen so many of them around the area, because it's such a close drive. I guess it's just a good location for them to arrive to in terms of airport uh, and just a nice city. uh, And it's not in the countryside. So Mm. that's why I feel that we've been seeing them here. It is intense, though, because they're wearing full uniform. Right, right. And that's fairly normal, actually, when they deploy troops. Uh, I I don't really know why, especially because, for example, last week I was walking back from the gym and I saw a group of 15 or 16 of them trying to figure out how to work the scooters, like the, the limes mm. or the bolt scooters, which I thought was hilarious because it's, it's bizarre, yeah. you know? And they were in full uniform and I don't think that they were actively working. I hope not. Yeah, an Mm. interesting sight. Um, (laughs) I also came across a quote from General David Berger, who stated that the number of U.S. troops in the continent has now reached 100,000 for the first time in nearly two decades, which I think helps put things into perspective and also an explanation of why we've seen such a heightened presence of troops. Yeah, I mean, I think it'd be interesting to talk to some Polish students or teachers about how that makes them feel. And when we talk to get ago last week we actually discussed that and he said something really interesting that i still think about how he felt safe when he saw them and not threatened which i guess doesn't really describe the experience of some other citizens of countries where u.s troops have been present um i think also the quantity is what makes it i guess shocking for some people because like i said when i walked back i saw a really big group of them and when you go out you see them in large groups and that's what raises alarm although i think for me growing up in texas i was always taught to have respect and almost like reverence for service members whether they be active military veterans or even police officers or firefighters if you see them at a restaurant or somewhere you know you get their coffee or you get their meal uh for service members you always thank them for their service although i've heard that that's now a discussion over whether that's correct or not um also, I mean, it's not just when it comes to service members. I think there's this whole culture behind it. I mean, every day we say the Pledge of Allegiance in Texas. I said the Pledge of Allegiance not only to the American flag, but also the Texan flag. And every Monday we would sing or listen to the Star Spangled Banner. <laughs> We'd have our moments of silence, right? So it's very ingrained and it's just normal and it's you don't really question it until you meet people that 
think that that's not normal and then you're like oh this is just something unique to my experience completely completely apart from the heightened military presence that we've seen here i've also come across and i'm sure many other people have a lot of international organizations that have sent doctors or volunteers to come not just to krakow but also to the border and i ran into a very interesting group of people at the market americans um which that is interesting (laughs) (laughs) no i mean okay I, i have to give you context for this uh so i was buying a mug from a local little market that they had here and it's the traditional crackles no (laughs) (laughs) the traditional polish uh, ceramic and as i was shopping one of them made a comment about how they thought that the polish ceramic wasn't original and that they they just thought it was a copy of russian ceramic and i thought it was just a really tone-deaf comment to make out loud and i heard the accent and it, it was of course american and um i don't know how but we ended up talking they were right next to me and this one girl was like grabbing the same mug as i was so it was almost like a meet cute but not really (laughs) well hey there so then i asked her where they were from and she said that they were from texas and i responded and i said that i was from dallas and that i was shocked you know that's what a coincidence that you're all here and i'm from texas too so then I started inquiring more and I asked them where they were from and they said that they were from College Station, which is a college town. It has Texas A&M there and they're definitely known for being very conservative Texan culture. We make fun of them. <laughs> we make fun of the people <laughs> that go to A&M and say that it's very cult-like mm-hmm. because it sort of is. Um, as soon as she said College Station, I was like, okay, interesting. <laughs> Then I asked her what they were doing here, if they were here on holiday or vacation, you know, what an interesting time to come to vacation here. So they must have had some sort of agenda. Then she ended up saying that they were from this Antioch church, that they were part of their organization that, I guess, gets sent on these international missions. And she said that they had spent the last week at the Ukrainian border volunteering i'm not really sure what they were doing they definitely didn't look like doctors you didn't say that they were and later i went home and looked up this church i wasn't shocked found a lot of very typical texan conservative christian beliefs and propaganda and i just thought it was shocking that they were sent over here just for one week to go to the border i'm not really sure what they did or if they were even helpful but Mm. lots of different people congregating here and at the border and it's just there's been a lot of movement and this highlights one of the reasons why the polish government has been able to boast that they don't have refugee camps or they don't have the big humanitarian disaster of 2015 or 2016 again it's not necessarily because the government's doing much it's more because of civil society specifically in poland obviously not just from international organizations but In terms of something that the government has been doing, there was this Ukrainian special act that was passed that essentially decided that the president, in order to carry out tasks related to helping Ukrainian citizens, may make transfers in the city's current income and expenditure plan, but not in an amount that exceeded 100 million PLN, which is approximately 22 million euros. Uh, About the time when refugees had just started arriving in Krakow, so a couple of weeks ago, um, I went to Carrefour Express and um, there was a Ukrainian girl 
Um, and this woman, I'm not sure where she was from. She was speaking in Italian, but also some Polish, so I'm not really sure. Um, but she said, oh, you're Ukrainian. Wow. Can I take a picture of you? And the girl who was who was a girl, she was maybe 16, kind of awkwardly said, okay. Um, and then all she gets is, okay, well, you're in our prayers. And I'm thinking, if ever there was a moment you could actually help when you're in a shop, now's the time. <laughs> but no, all she got was, okay. Uh, can I have a picture of you for my socials? Thanks. Um, and that was very disturbing, but that's been a very, for me, that's been quite a unique experience. Generally speaking, people, nothing that people have done is performative, um, but I, I'll talk about that later. Right, right. I think most of us have been seeing the opposite. We've been seeing actual hands-on work and people mobilizing in those small and big ways that they can. And I think that's great. It's definitely restored some of my hope in humanity. However, we've all come across these weird encounters of people still being performative. Uh, and I think part of what irked me about the encounter I had with these people from this organization from College Station was the comment, first of all, that one of them made. Second, it was this looking into who sent them. They were only there for a week. Why the environmental waste of the plane ride right. over and back just for this little bit of time what were you doing there you know you always want to ask am i being helpful or am i in the way in spanish we always have the saying if you're not being helpful don't get in the way mm. which i think is really true and things that we have to really ask ourselves in this situation um right and i think um you know walking through krakow at the moment you constantly see what in any other country I would consider to be performative activism, you know, um, outside a restaurant, you've got blue and yellow flowers, which have been planted. You've got a poster for a charity concert on the back of the bathroom door. You've got a mannequin dressed in blue and yellow outside a clothing store. I even saw a stationery shop where they put out their blue and yellow highlighters. Um, it's a constant reminder that there is a war. And I would consider it performative if it weren't for the fact that I know that everyone is doing whatever they can. Um, and I've seen it. Yeah, like actually going to protests, donating money, buying stuff, lending a hand, giving your time. Like people people have to volunteer overnight. It's about uh, from midnight until 6 a.m. That's what I'm doing today. And yeah, I'm going to be tired for work tomorrow, but that's what I'm doing today. Right, right. Yeah, um, I also wanted to touch on some other niche things that we've seen as a response to the war, which you brought up some good examples. Um, we actually live pretty close to the Russian embassy and there was this movement, I think a week after Russia invaded Ukraine, where citizens were trying to petition to rename the park area in front of the embassy to the Free Ukraine Square or something like that. I think it wasn't successful, which got a lot of criticism. I'm not really sure. I think they tabled it for now. Mm. But I did see that Albania and Lithuania did it successfully. And I'm sure that other places as well. But I thought that those were the first ones that had a lot of press. So... Um, I also saw that the Polish government apparently said it won't charge people if they dispose of extra trash if they're hosting refugees, which I might have already mentioned, but um, the citizens of Krakow can now be eternally grateful for this big philanthropy of their <laughs> beloved PiS government. I think in, in Poland there's a lot of discourse um, with regard to how much the government's actually done and how much people have done, and I do think it's mainly civil society. Um, the solidarity I've witnessed in Krakow is unlike anything I've ever seen before. For example... 
the collection that set up that was set up for Krakow's twin town Lviv um, in the municipal stadium was full within one day and so new centres had to be set up across the city we've both been there I think um, I was completely overwhelmed by the operation that was taking place uh, more and more people just kept coming giving whatever they could and then uh, in the Krakow Gówny train station which I think you talked about before it's now a humanitarian hub um, there are massive Red Cross tents there and members of the public can bring food and toys to the refugees waiting to register with the Polish authorities um, and actually a couple of weekends ago I went there and I asked them if they needed anything to be bought for the refugees. And their answer was, oh, you know, what? I, I think we have everything. Like, if you really want to, you can buy us bananas. Um, and it's just it just goes to like people, the Polish people are amazing. They really just they've gone out of their way. Any time someone says, oh, we need this, like this is in short supply, people will buy it within an hour. You know, the, the day I remember um, I went like I went to the store looking for some energy bars or anything I could bring to the refugees and they'd sold out. Um, there weren't even any shopping trolleys left because everyone had taken them. And then also when we went to vo- sign up to volunteer at the station, um, we were told that they had enough people there. And this is another thing. I think it's important to remember that it's not about you as an individual. As long as they have enough volunteers, that's what that's good. You know, and I, you just have to find new ways to try and help. Uh, and I think that's what everyone's doing. Like the people in Krakow have been so amazing at finding different ways to help people. You know, if you go to the pharmacy... Um, and you tell the pharmacist that you're buying supplies for Ukraine, they will drop everything they're doing um, and start gathering supplies. Uh, one pharmacist in particular, she'd like done all her research. She knew exactly what they needed. And she said, oh, OK, I saw that I saw online they need this. Like, can I get you this? And actually, one time I went to quite a small pharmacy and, um, and we created quite a queue trying to collect uh, the supplies for Lviv. And when I turned around, I was quite nervous. I thought, God, the people waiting behind us are going to be irritated. It's been 15 minutes. They're ill. Uh, hence why they're in a pharmacy and actually the response we got was yeah keep it up f putin um and you know even even the facebook group crackle for ukraine has thirty-one thousand members these people are amazing one of my uh, one of my favorite youtubers karolina jabrowska who is uh from krakow she made an excellent video explaining why poles have been so quick to help their neighbors and i mean first of course you've got the shared history of these two countries which means that poles understand and feel for ukrainians better than western europeans could really um, and also culturally, these two countries are very strongly related. I mean, the buildings that you can see online being bombarded in Ukraine look just like buildings that they have in Krakow. And a lot of Poles also know Ukrainians personally because they've been the largest minority in Poland for a long time. And so, in short, the, the Polish people have completely amazed me by their, their active solidarity with, with Ukraine and none of it is performative. They have an expression in Polish, which is Polak potrafi, which means a Pole can do anything. It's true. Absolutely. I 100% agree with it. And and as you were speaking, I was thinking about how I've realized how easy it is to actually just do something. You just have to decide and go for it. When I say this, I I really mean, you know, for example, people that took time off of work or that uh, had to shift around their schedule or make these big changes in their daily life or even in their businesses to help it was just done. There was no question and there was no hesitation. Right. I mean, as soon as February 24th happened, there was movement, all hands on deck, which I think is really impressive because normally you're thinking about all these bureaucratic uh, barriers, if you will, of, you know, well, my boss, let me do this. Is, is this going to be okay? Can I donate this money? Will this blah, 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 blah. 
And that just wasn't a question here. I think that's why I was so impressed at how fast the response was and how unified it was. And truly, I am astounded and overwhelmed by the Polish community here in Krakow and I think in general, right? But what we've seen here is impressive. Yeah, and it makes me very happy to live in Krakow, even for this short amount of time. Um, There is nowhere else I would rather be at this point in time, just because I think this is the place where help is happening. This is where solidarity is actually being embodied. Right, and I was actually thinking that I think it's also very dramatic because we went through the pandemic, and at the beginning, the responses of civil society were not all solidarity, right? It was confusion and contradiction and even not only just within society, but also within governments. Nobody was agreeing on what the right action or course of action was. Mm -hmm. And I think now we're in a different crisis and we're seeing people that aren't affected truly in the same level or to the same degree that Ukrainian citizens are, but they're doing everything they can to help. And I, that's a really drastic comparison. Yeah, and I think um, it, it was it was surprising for me. And I, I don't want to say that like polls are perfect. There are also conspiracy theories here. Um, one in particular I'm thinking of was someone suggested that the vaccines had injected people with a kind of euphoric reaction to migration. But the, the thing about living in Poland right now i was talking to my friend recently and she said that in the uk media it really sounds like poland is part of the war and it doesn't feel like that on a day-to-day basis walking around krakow you know you could you if you avoid the train station you could feasibly think you know it's just a normal day however you still see women and children in groups and you know they're ukrainian you hear people talking ukrainian even you know people that already lived here people that have just clearly just arrived people with suitcases and you do wonder when did you get him? Where are you going? What's your plan? Have you lost anyone? Is your home still there? Um, but yeah, I don't think you can underestimate that as part of the the social environment that we're in right now. Right. And I think that's a good segue to start talking about maybe this gap between in theory and in practice, because you and I have really specified that we're talking about the Polish civil sector, but sometimes people say Poland has responded in this, this, and that way. Poland, X, Y, Z, and it's not civil society and government. It's really just a civil society. Right. It's just like what you were saying in in the episode you did on China. Um, You know, we talk about countries like it's one entity and it's not, you know, there are people and there's the government. For example, in the UK, the British people have reacted in a different way to the British government and it's the same here. And I think that this is especially true in this situation. And again, governments as well, they're not monoliths. But I think in Poland, we have this unique government in power. And it's been causing problems for the EU for a while now. And now that this is happening, it's a really tricky balance between keeping a consistent strategy and how you approach a government that is being openly defiant and helping them because they're sort of like a proxy between the people that actually need the help. So for example, a percentage of the EU's billion euros that was allocated or and is aimed at combating the humanitarian crisis will be given to public authorities such as marshal offices here in Poland, which is actually quite a big deal that they're giving this autonomy to this local government 
to basically allocate money as they see fit, given that it's forbidden as a consequence or as a response to the LGBT free declarations of these local municipal governments. And so since July 2020, the European Union has denied funding from the Structural Funds and Cohesion Fund to the municipalities that have adopted this LGBT free declaration, which are in violation of the EU Charter of Fundamental Rights. And in fact, Poland is the only member state to have an opt-out from this charter, which it signed upon its accession to the EU. So weird situation going on there. And in addition, several European sister cities have frozen their partnerships with the Polish municipalities in question. And due to their violation of European law, including Article 2 of the Treaty of the European Union, these zones are considered as part of the Polish rule of law crisis, which we've all heard about. But now the question is, are Ukrainian refugees really the place where we continue this fight, right? Or where the EU takes a hard stance? And obviously the answer is no. But it's a tricky situation because you have to change this strategy that you've had and you're sort of walking back on certain things. Yeah, I mean, I think the I have found it confusing arriving in Poland having been taught to hate this government because of the way that they don't care about civil liberties or human rights um, or democracy for that matter. But now the way that they're acting has seemed to be like, oh, okay, they're actually doing the right thing. They're welcoming Ukrainian refugees. It's jarring. But, you know, it's important to remember that this has done a lot for the Polish brand. Um, the the Prime Minister Morawiecki said that Poland has never had such an excellent brand all over the world. Um, and now it's in the right position in international politics. So basically what they're trying to say is that Poland isn't the real problem in Europe. Look at that big scary dictator. That's the real problem. Um, and their democratic record shouldn't be the EU's focus right now. And they're kind of hoping to brush that under the carpet. A lot of people also think that because of the way that the Polish government has accepted refugees, that should mean that they should be able to get access to this this EU funding, which has been blocked from them because of their human rights record, because of their democracy record. Um, they should be able to get that just because, you know, oh, they've been accepting refugees, so the two will cancel each other out. And the narrative that we're getting is Poland is a good EU member on the issues that count. It's very clear, like, the, the dialogue that we've been seeing in the news in my opinion, is extremely positive about Poland. But, you know, again, there is a slight confusion between civil society and the government. A quick Google search of Poland and Ukraine returns a series of articles showering Poland with compliments. But to what extent has the actual government been behind that? To what extent have the good things that have been happening in this country been because of Kaczynski and co.? Yeah, and I also think it depends on what media you're consuming. For example, in an article by the New York Times, for example, that doesn't really have the time to explain this situation of the Polish government and what's going on in Polish and the rule of law crisis. You might find this narrative of Poland is doing this, Poland is doing that without really specifying the details of is it the Polish government or civil society or, you know. But actually the Polish media, at least what I've been able to read, is questioning the municipal government and is questioning the national government and the national legislators that have been causing this rule of law crisis and i actually think it's really brave of these reporters that are interviewing people like the mayors or voivodes of krakow and or uh the lesser poland area because from what i've seen they're really pressing and they're really 
judging and criticizing. For example, last episode, I talked about the the soup debacle, how the deputy mayor of Krakow said that the government couldn't serve soup at the tents at the Galleria because soup was hot and if it spilled, it would cause chaos, which is an absolutely ridiculous yeah. response. Again, I, so I read this on Polish media, but it's not something that you're going to come across, something else or the big, you know, British newspapers that go over the state of the union, if you will. Right. And I, I, I want to just add at this point that maybe I'm being really harsh on British news, um, but I tried to tune into the BBC News uh, Ukraine podcast. And honestly, it just completely highlighted to me that they haven't really cared about this region for the last 20 years and it's now like oh, okay we have to get some experts on this matter um and it was just awful um and so yeah i don't think that the reporting on central eastern europe is that high quality um i think there are a lot of simplifications which are made in the british media people have seen the leaders of the eu and indeed they've seen Zelensky, and they've thought would our prime minister act like that if we were in this situation no he would hide in a fridge Wait, I'm sorry, can you explain that? Is that a reference to something? <laughs> yeah, the, I, I can't remember exactly what it was, but years ago, he didn't want to talk to reporters, and so he went inside a fridge. Point being, for example, the recent trip that was taken by Morawiecki, Kaczynski, and also the Czech and Slovenian prime ministers um, to Kiev was said to be done on behalf of the EU. In the UK, I think a lot of people saw that and they really praised it, whereas in Poland, the narrative has been, this is just a publicity stunt. And, you know, yes, there are some people that recognize that this shows solidarity with Ukraine and it was a risky trip to make. But there's there's a lot more criticism of the government. And I think it's the arguments are a lot more nuanced to an extent that's to be expected. I think we can also add to this point that it's not like the government has done nothing. They have done a lot. Um, Ukrainians in Poland have access to healthcare, to education, other benefits. They can take the, the train, which is state owned. They can take that free of charge. Uh, and anyone who hosts a Ukrainian in their home, they can receive a small daily allowance. There are over 2 million Ukrainian refugees in Poland. But I've also read that some volunteers find it embarrassing that most of the products, most of the food that's being brought, is being brought by civil society and not by government funds. Yes, I read that as well. Um, somebody that was at the soup kitchen, if you will, at the Galleria was talking to the reporter and saying that it was embarrassing that the government wasn't providing food. Right, right. And while there are a lot of refugees arriving here, again, it's not always with open arms, especially from the government. Here, the local government has decided that they were going to employ psychologists to go to the station and convince refugees to get on trains to Germany, which I understand that the high influx of refugees is a strain because there is no infrastructure in place to handle it. But like I said earlier, I think a lot of the times if you just decide you're going to do something, you do. And a lot of these bureaucratic barriers, they stop being barriers sometimes. Not all of them, for sure. I agree. Honestly, I thought it was awful that this was happening because we know that so many refugees would like to stay in Poland because it's closer to home. There's right. still this hope of going back home. Maybe your things aren't destroyed, right? And it's awful that you're sending in psychologists to somehow manipulate and convince people to leave. That is why I question this whole, like, allowing local governments to manage and allocate funds 
Because at mm-hmm. that point, is that where that money is going to? Because someone has to be paying these psychologists because a lot of them aren't there for free, right? Mm. Yeah, I mean, um, I was also reading about um, the Ukrainians that want to stay and how they're trying to get their puzzle numbers, which is like your social security number here in Poland. And apparently they've set up tents and like there's a lot of organization and people are really trying to help. But again, it comes down to volunteers giving you a wristband saying you you will get you will get an appointment tomorrow. But, you know, I went to the center to get my puzzle number and I was in and out in an hour. And it does make me think like, why is it taking them hours or days to get something that took me an hour? Why are they not the priority in that situation? That's weird. And I'm not an expert on Polish bureaucracy. So I'm sure someone can give me an answer to that. But I did think, why was the situation different? Of course, they have to apply for asylum and I have an EU visa. But still, I'm confused by that. So I came across some of the government's whining, as Greg called it last week. Right, that's accurate, I think. Right, um, to the EU. A quote from the Prime Minister, he's calling for the EU solidarity in helping the migrants, calling it the bloc's common cause and shared responsibility. So again, this constant message and narrative, not just, I think, through official media, but even through Twitter, I've seen... If you are running government media channels and you're making statements on Twitter, I just, I don't think that's acceptable. I think it's ridiculous, honestly. It's just ironic that this being a country that didn't want quotas back when it was, wasn't beneficial to them um, is now saying, oh, this is our common solidarity. All the while making a statement saying, oh, you know, Poland's handling it really well. We've got 2 million refugees here, but we don't have any refugee camps. Um, so applaud. It's It's a very... Yeah, it's a very manipulative narrative, and I think... It's misinformed. Mm. They're, they're, they're spreading misinformation, and they know it, and it's... This is a populist government. Exactly. Like, the, at no point can you forget who Kaczynski is. And right. for, people, for people that don't know, Kaczynski is the de facto leader of Poland. He's the deputy prime minister, but he's the head of the peace party, and yeah. Yeah, and the peace MEP Bogdan Jonsa said that the left liberal European parliament by not tabling this amendment that calls in the rule of law mechanism was showing Putin that there was no solidarity within the EU and that he can harass and scare the countries that border Ukraine, which eventually I think it was tabled. Like I think they, there was this whole argument and I think that's why now they're allowing them to, these municipal governments to receive money and also they've stopped trying to employ this mechanism There's multiple things overlapping and at work here that have just been stopped because of the war. And now the Polish government is manipulating this and using it to their benefit. And obviously, I mean, this rhetoric here, not only in what this MEP said, but also in what the prime minister said, is very clear that there's an agenda, which is disgusting. They're using this. And even you said it earlier, they're using this as a way to somehow elevate the position of Poland and elevate the position of their government and what they're doing which is disgusting. Like, this is a humanitarian crisis. This is not some sort of thing that you can capitalize on to benefit you and your political agenda. Yeah, exactly. And I think Joe Biden today is going to be going to Rzeszów, which is a city in eastern Poland, which I would be extremely surprised if he would have gone to otherwise. Um, And so, yeah, you can understand why they feel like this is a great media coup for them. Yeah, it has it has had a positive impact on the Polish brand, but you have to ask yourself to what extent is the government just piggybacking on what civil society has done. But that being said, I, I do believe 
that the Polish government has done a lot more than the British government has, for example. But that is also to an extent to be expected just because they can understand this crisis in a way that the British government never will. And I also think geography and history play a role in understanding the situation. But regardless, I think it's important that we highlight and emphasize the good that the civil society has done and try to make sure that there's a distinction in this perception of the Polish response between government and civil society. I think at the end of the day, what I wanted to talk about and what we've discussed is really important because we don't want the dominant narrative to be this one that the government is propelling, especially because, like I mentioned before, it's really infuriating that they're piggybacking off of something that's truly horrible. Right. And not even are they piggybacking in a way that they're really helping, you know, that they're the ones really investing all this money and creating this response, mobilizing municipal governments to do X, Y, and Z. You know, they're sending out psychologists to convince people to leave. They're hesitating or refusing to serve soup in the place that people arrive. And so I think when we have this gap between what's being said and what's actually being done, it's really important that we discuss it and make it public so that people that may be listening can know about this and can talk about it and make sure that there is no confusion. Because like you said, this is a populist government and what they're doing is not okay. And I I keep thinking back to the soup comment. It's just who in their right mind says that in a position of power? Yeah, tone deaf and thoughtless and... This shouldn't be, if they weren't helping the Ukrainian people, that would be terrible. This is what is expected, in my opinion. The the people of Poland, I have so much respect for because of the way they've responded to this. But it is also not something that I think the government should get credit for. No, no, absolutely not. And maybe we're going to have to come back and record another episode with the updates on civil society versus government and government whining right i'll say we're recording this at the end of march um we probably won't publish this for a while i hope that what we're saying remains relevant um but for various reasons we cannot publish it uh, right now but yes we will be back with more up-to-date information thank you so much for sitting down and talking to me this was a lovely greta and aria show Thank you so much to everyone that's listening. We wish you a wonderful week or a day and um, glory to Ukraine. Slava Ukraina.